thanks to Crime Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and confidant, Pete Mitchum. But unlike always, we're actually sitting uh, tete-a-tete or face-to-face. Pete, welcome to uh, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. And not only that, Matt, I think the, uh, this is possibly the first time that we've ever done uh, Radio Brews News El Fresco. But we've done a couple of live, you know, where we've actually been able to catch up, because as the listeners know, I'm normally based in Melbourne, Matt in Brisbane. So we always do this via Skype. Um, but at Gabs, uh, the last couple of years, we've managed to get together and do a, a, a tete-a-tete, uh, mano a mano. Well, I think that means hand to hand. But anyway, um, it's nothing like that. So uh, long as it's not cheek to cheek. That's right. But this time we're on the beautiful sunny Sunshine Coast and, and we're actually outdoors. And so it's a nice change. 20 degrees sitting in uh, beautiful blue sun, you know, well, blue sky, sunshine. Um, but we're also uh, joined by a, a local craft beer publican, uh, Josh Collins. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hi, guys. Thank you very much. Now, we're going to have a bit of a chat to you a little bit later, um, Josh, and uh, have a good chat about this uh, wonderful Black Bunny kitchen that you've opened. Um, but before that, Pete, I caught up during the week with uh, uh, Peter Willis from Hawthorne Brewing Company. Um, they've recently won a couple of big awards over in the UK um, and also have started sending their beer to Europe, um, namely England and France. So here's a little bit about what I chatted with Peter Collins about. <laughs> Not Peter Collins, <laughs> Peter Willis about. We can fix that in post. <laughs> Peter Willis, uh, tell us a little bit about Hawthorne Brewing. Yeah, okay, Matt. Um, 2009 is when we when we kicked off Hawthorne Brewing, and like like many things, it uh, started around a barbecue with myself and, and Hamish and Darren, both who were sort of ardent home brewers. Um, and you know, just year on year, we Hamish would pump out a, a nice brew, and we'd say we should do something. And next year, we'd say the same thing and the same thing. And finally, come 09, we thought, look, let's uh, let's at least have a look if there is a a viable option for this and, and legs in it and uh, spent a year doing that and sort of realised, yeah, look, I think, I think there is there is a market there for us. We can we can squeeze in and uh, 209, we, we knocked off the first batch, which was our pale ale, um, and then sort of it, it's grown steadily from then. So it was uh, certainly started from very, very small, small uh, position. Our first batch was 200 cases, um, which we brewed out at, at, at Mildura. Um, and, you know, were very nervous times when you what seemed to be a lot of beer at the time when you just come out with a, a concept and an idea and hoping that uh, people enjoy the beer and we'll take it on. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 thankfully it worked and we've gone on from there. And uh, who developed the, the, the recipes for you? So Hamish, Hamish is our chief brewing officer. Um, so he does all the recipe development. So he's, his background is home brewer. He's trained horticulturist. He's done certain, you know, there's... Well, That's Hamish Reid, of course. Hamish Reid, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So he's... Um, which uh, people would know would have seen him on the traps. He's very much involved with us so in, in the business. So um, he's one of the owners as well, myself, Hamish and Darren. Um, yeah, so Hamish, Hamish develops all the recipes. We've got a little brew shed um, in Hawthorne, which is it's where the, the sort of name comes. That's where, where Hamish and Darren live. Um, and our brew shed, he, he tinkers away and comes up with our pilot brews and all the varieties. And then obviously we, we just work with the with the in-house brewers at the various facilities that we're at, right, to just to sort of upscale it and make sure that the, the specs and tastes and things we saw at the pilot level were uh, were mirrored through. And you've moved around a little bit. As you said, you started at Mildura, but then you've uh, moved to Southern Bay, and uh, you're also now brewing at Brewpack, who I should uh, 
ring the Alan Jones uh, conflict of interest bell and uh, let people know that Brewpack are a sponsor of the, of the show, but uh, that's obviously not why we uh, got you on. Absolutely. Yeah, look, I mean, our business model has been, you know, it's been the contract brewing route from the get-go. Um, uh, just obviously, you know, simple economics. I mean, I'm an accountant by profession, so I'm, we weren't sort of prepared to or, or didn't think it was viable to jump into a, an unknown business with a substantial investment. So our route was... Okay, Go down the contracting route, build the business, build the brand, see where it takes us, and then and then look look at other options. So, um, yeah, we certainly started at Mildura initially, um, and then as as our volumes and styles and extra SKUs have demanded, we've sort of looked for a facility that that could meet that. So, we did a, a stint down at Southern Bay. Um, again, that was our second step. So as we grew, that suited us. Um, and then actually we popped back to Mildura for a, for a third for a second visit up there just to Again, add new SKUs that probably didn't suit the Southern Bay um, uh, facility down there, and then from there we've come up to up to Brewpack, which is where we are now, and that, that's predominantly a, a, a capacity issues, and, uh, and obviously you know, we, we certainly like, like the what, what they're doing with the beer and how it suits our brand, and then the quality controls that obviously we have in place. Um, you know, it, it's a nice pairing. And it's always been something that you know, has has rankled um, with some people, hasn't it? The fact that you've named yourself after a, a physical suburb but haven't chosen to brew there. Um, how has that affected your your brand? Either you know both. Um, what, why did you choose to to name the brand after a, a suburb of Melbourne? And how has that sort of influenced the uh, the, the growth of the brewery? Yeah, it, it certainly did ruffle a few feathers um, back when we started. I think that that was just a general contract um, or anti-contract brewing sediment um, for whatever reason. Um, that certainly changed uh, over the last couple of years. It's now viewed as a, as a viable and uh, business model for, for, for breweries. Um, and certainly with us, you know, when, when choosing the name, I mean, it's like anything, you, know, you choose the name of your, of your child, you, you've got many, 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 many options. And for us, it was like, okay, well, in the absence of anything else, we live in Hawthorne, we're based in Hawthorne. This is sort of where the ideas percolated and stems from. Um, why not Hawthorne Brewing Company? It was, it was certainly not to cash in or have any, any providence issues. It was just, well, you know, this is certainly where we are and we believe this is this is the, the home of, of our beer, which it is to this day. Uh, they're born there. And um, certainly, look, I, I don't think it, um, that having a name called Hawthorne, named after suburb, has, has cost us any or, or, or given us an advantage, to be honest. I think you know, people are smart enough to say, well, the suburb base, you know, you've got... Other names that are other beers that are named after uh, after suburbs, you know, Carlton Draft are the most famous ones. I'm sure people don't uh, don't say it's not specifically in Carlton. So, um, so for us, look, it has a bit of problem, possibly, um, yeah, with the, the the push around Providence and that sort of thing. I think obviously it's very important that people know, you know, it's not specifically brewed there. And, and as you say, we've we've been pretty upfront with that and let them know that now we are contracting, we are contract brewing, and we've been open about where we're doing it. Um, I suppose for us. You know, we see it as, as a birthplace and where, where the recipes are born. You know, as I mentioned previously, Hamish does all the batches there. So it's certainly a, a relative tie-in and a, a relevant tie-in. And obviously, uh, since the Byron Bay um, decision uh, by the ACCC, they've been contacting a lot of breweries, and you were one of the breweries that was uh, contacted, You've, which, which led to you making very clear statements on your on, on your label. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, think, I think everyone is... is Keen to ensure that Providence is, you know, there's, there's no deceptive or misleading contact to quote the ACCC. So um, certainly obvious for us. You know, we had a couple of statements early on that we're just putting there from a branding point of view. Um, and after you know, ha- having discussions with with the ACCC about 
as this may or may not be construed, um, you know, we certainly tighten things up and, uh, and have removed some statements, um, particularly around our imported from Hawthorne type statement, which, which was our sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, byline when we started. Um, so that's that's been removed. Just just again to give you know give consumers, uh, you know, I suppose, clearer picture of if, if that's what the ACCC um, are recommending. We're obviously, you know, we're, we're on board with that. Um, Anyhow, obviously, you know that that that's been something we've had in place for about six, seven months now. So, um, look, it's, yeah, I believe now yeah, we're all, all well. I believe we always were above board, to be honest, in that regard. But um, looking at when you get a government body like the ACCC coming down and giving recommendations, and obviously, uh, you know, it's it was prudent, and obviously, you know, we wanted to to support that and make sure there was no uh, no miscommunication or, or perceived uh, sort of trickery on on our behalf, for want of a better word. Now we've um, the, the reason that we're having a chat to you today is because you've uh, recently won a major award in the UK and uh, off the back of that have started uh, exporting beer to the UK. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it's the International Beer Challenge is the award you mentioned, and we've had a good run there the last couple of years. We we first entered it in 2013 when we released our Golden Ale, um, and the reason for that was we we missed the cut off the International Beer Awards here in Australia. And we thought, well, we don't want to wait another year to see how this beer stands up amongst its peers. So we sent it across to, to London, um, and it actually won a, a gold medal over there. Um, and then, sorry, this is the IPA I talk about, the IPA, my apologies, back in 2013. Uh, and then it won the trophy for best ale above 5%, so that was a great result in 13. And we thought, well, okay, we've got a new beer in 2014 being the golden ale. Let's send it across again, and uh, that won the gold, the gold medal, and... and Based on the results of our other beers, which was um, yeah, three silvers and a gold, we, uh, we were named Supreme Champion Brewer, which was a, a nice honour to, to edge out. Um, you know, sort of we, we won the Oceania Brewery, we edged out Europe and North Americas. Uh, there was South America Brewery um, and the African Brewery, so all those were you know, up against us, and we, we were voted to be best of the best, if that's the right phrase. <laughs> And on the back. Well, you were certainly up against some of the uh, brewers of the year from around the world. Was Baltica in Europe, uh, Boston Beer Company in uh, North America, um, Deschutes uh, won for best stout or porter. Um, let's see, uh, you know, the, the Boston Beer Company, Boston Beer Company, as I mentioned, um, Red Oak uh, picked up best specialty beer with their Chateau Sour, and we went on to become supreme champion. So uh, you, you certainly were in uh, some fairly uh, esteemed company. Yeah, no, we were, we're very happy with that. So it was a uh, yeah. It was a great, great, great get for us, and we we're pretty proud. Um, and then on, on the back of that, Matt, uh, yeah, that sort of garnished a, a bit of interest in the UK, and uh, and, and that's where you know, we started talking to some some distributors, um, and also some of these larger chains uh, to see if there's any opportunities. And and you know, recently we've we managed to ink a deal with uh, Majestic Wine, who was a big sort of uh, wine warehouse slash beer um, group over over in the UK and uh, they've taken our pale and pilsner on for uh, for arranging to see how it goes over there which is which is very exciting um, exciting for many reasons obviously the export market is something that we're, we're trying to grow so that was a plus but also um, both myself and Hamish uh, had lived in London for a lot of years in our early years and, and our other co-founder Darren is currently living there now so it's um, it's nice to be sending some beer back across after uh, after being consumers for such a long time so, what sort of volumes uh, are we talking about in, in in terms of cartons? Are we talking about to uh, um, that, that you're sending overseas? It's everything's containerised. So at the moment, it's um, it's for 
well, the first order for a Majesta was a 40-foot container. Um, so it's obviously, you know, substantial volume, sort of up around a couple of thousand cases. Uh, and that's to see how things go. And then the plan is, you know, if it, uh, if it moves as well as we think it is and as well as I think it is, and the early indications are that it's going it's going well, um, particularly given it's, its breadth of range in 200-plus stores, um, you know, hopefully we see this as an ongoing relationship, and, and that's certainly their intention. It's a 12-month it's a um, initial sort of arrangement. Um, and you know, all things being equal, it'll move well. They'll see it's, uh, you know, it's a great product at a competitive price, etc. All the things you need to tick in any uh, retail environment, and then um, you know, orders will, will continue. So it's, um, I mean, our, our electrical market in general is containerized. We tend not to do too many uh, things smaller than that, just from an efficiency point of view. So, talk to me about some of the economics of sending beer overseas, because uh, you know, beer in Australia is, is quite an expensive product when you compare it against, you know, beers in the United States, uh, for example, or even beers in in Europe, where it's comparatively much cheaper. Um, Producing beer in Australia seems to be quite expensive, and with excise, uh, it seems to be quite expensive. Um, how does it go price-wise when you add the cost of shipping and uh, distribution overseas? How does the uh, the, the export beer stack up um, once it's uh, hitting the retailers over there? Yeah, that's a, I mean it's it, it's it's key, obviously, right? Um, regardless of how good the beer is, or how many awards it's won, or it's, it's perceived uh, to, you know, to, to the buyer who, who may love it. You know, if the price doesn't stack up, it's, it's not going to move. So Pricing is very, very key, um, and as you, as you mentioned, you know, Australia is a, a high production cost country. Um, obviously, when you're exporting, excise is, is, is a non-factor, so you're coming in just to the, the raw materials. And look, to be honest, you just, just got to know your numbers and, and, and know your target market. Um, you know, if you're trying to land it at a certain price per six-pack, you know the margins that the wholesaler wants, the distributor. You work it back to what you need. It needs to land for freight cost. You know, we've got a pretty good handle on that. Uh, and then you work out, well, I need to make it for this much, can I make it for that much? Um, and it, you know, it's just simple, simple costing economics. It's no different to, to pricing a product in the, in, in the local market. I mean, the, the dynamics are the same. Um, you know, the financial sort of calculations, exactly the same. And for us, it was about, okay, we need to be competitive. Can we get the cost at a good price? Negotiate, discuss with, uh, you know, with, with the people you're dealing with. And, um, you know, in this instance, I mean, I... I we know exactly sort of where it needs to hit uh, from a shelf price point of view, um, and our, our our Australian pricing and, and production costs allow us to, uh, you know, to put put a beer out there that certainly is not going to compete with uh, you know the big boys, um, the, the the mainstream volume breweries. But when you're pushing, when you're promoting a beer overseas, you're pushing as a an international craft beer, small batches, all the things that that grabs their attention. So obviously there's a they can charge a slight premium for that, provided that it allows them to make the margins. Um, then you know, it, it, it's a viable prospect for them. And so, so it sells for a premium uh, on the shelves over there. It does a little bit. You look, it's sort of it's it's sitting with. I mean, looking at the website, it's it's sitting around your US and European import price, which again was part of the discussion that you know, when we first entered discussions with distributors and wholesalers and, and the next possible export markets. It's about where do you see it positioning, um, and it's similar to, to in Australia. You know, it has a, a craft beer has a slight premiumisation and, and a slightly higher, higher pricing point. It's no different overseas, um, and that's exactly what's what's allowed us, I suppose, to to be able to offer a competitive price. Um, again, the dollar dropping has certainly helped things. Um, you know, people are paying Aussie dollars, and it's costing them less euros or less US dollars to to pay us. It makes it a bit more 
uh, of a you know, exciting prospect and a you know, viable prospect for them. It'll be interesting to see how it goes because I'm I'm just sitting here as you were talking, trying to think of other brands that have exported uh, overseas you know, in, in any great volume, and I can't think of uh, too many at all um, that have uh, managed to you know, sort of command a, a regular uh, export market. Yeah, I, I suppose it's uh, it's not something that I, th- I think the craft market has been sort of looking at. I suppose with the explosion of it locally, you know, you want to focus on things that are you know, the low hanging fruit, and the, and the local market's going from from strength to strength, so you know it's probably not something that a lot of the brewers focus on. Plus, obviously, you know, given the, the pricing constraints, you know, I just mentioned that sort of that's not someone's focus. But um, something here for us is, I mean, Coopers have been sending beer abroad for for a long time. Uh, I think they're very well set up for that, given their their size. But in terms of the smaller guys, yeah, there's um, there's, there's not too many. Um, and yeah, hopefully, time will tell that you know whether this is a, a one-off. Or, uh, you know, or, or as we're hoping, and, and certainly is our strategy that it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, proposition. And you know, the world sort of says, yeah, Australian craft beer. We've had Fosters for years. Let's actually get some, uh, shall we say, traditional, more traditional craft beer in, in play, and, uh, and see what see what the Australian market can offer. Do you think the Hawthorne name helps uh, overseas, or does it not have much uh, cut through? You know, it's just a generic uh, name. Yeah, look, I, I think I, I'd be pretty naive and. A little bit, little bit, little bit conceited. If I thought that uh, you know our name carried any sway overseas, I think once once you once you leave your shores, uh, you are competing with the rest of the world, and certainly brands that are possibly a lot better known than yours. Uh, and I think it's got to come down to you know a whole raft of things: pricing, quality, your brand positioning, how you present yourself, the backstory, uh, you know, your ability to meet and you know, capacity, uh, freight costs, all that sort of stuff. So I think the fact that Many people heard the name Hawthorne. I don't think it carried any sway. Obviously, awards and things is nice, but you know, buyers internationally, they, they look at everything as a, as a complete package and make an assessment. Well, if, if nothing else, it makes your uh, overseas travel a uh, tax deduction for a little <laughs> while anyway. Well, in the, this year, actually, uh, Hamish has been invited to be a, a guest judge at the, this year's International Beer Challenge, which is in July. So he's certainly really looking forward to that and getting across and seeing the, the inner workings of that, of that, of that sort of that awards festival. Terrific. Well, Peter Willis, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Radio Brews News and uh, all the best uh, with sending the beers overseas. Congratulations on your recent uh, results as well. Thanks, Matt. Uh, always a pleasure to It's fair to say, Matt, that it's they're a little bit polarising in that uh, those who um, there are there are people obviously who who care um, whether that a beer is contract brewed rather than you know handmade, if you like, in inverted commas. Um, But the guys have always been upfront about how they uh, began their brand. Um, There was probably some perhaps fair criticism early on because uh, they. Use the tagline "imported from Hawthorne," and and as if that's where the beer actually came from. But to their credit, at the end of the day, we've we've spoken about this quite a bit. At the end of the day, you know, the, it's what's in the what you pour into the glass that really matters, and and I think that's where the guys have nailed it um, at Hawthorne. They're making terrific beer. They've got some uh, really good recipes. You know, they've got a very strong brand. They've done all of those things. But yeah, it, to me, it really does come down to you know. 
when, when you name a brewery after a, a region, there's an expectation that there's a, a brewery there. Um, and, and you can get around that. It's not uh, the, the end of the business. As uh, you know, Ben Krause likes to say uh, from uh, Bridge Road Brewers in Beechworth, you know, if it doesn't matter, you can be upfront about it. And, yeah, fortunately, the, the guys have uh, you know, been very upfront about it. As you said, they've changed their tagline, and that's one of the things that the industry needs to, to grapple with. But uh, great, um, they're, they're doing great things. It'll be really interesting to see how they go overcoming you know, the price points and things of uh, sending beer overseas and whether they can make it work. And uh, So we'll probably touch base with Peter you know, again in 6, 12 months and see how that experiment's gone. Yep, see how they're going. But more importantly, we are sitting in the bright uh, sunshine of the Sunshine Coast uh, with Josh Collins from Black Funny Kitchen. Josh, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. Welcome to Queensland. And Peter, welcome to the sun. <laughs> this is lovely. I, I got criticised before for being you know, spot the Victorian. He's the only one who's uh, wearing the T-shirt and shorts. But I know you guys have taken off the top layers since we started. Well, that sun has got a nice bite to it, and we're, we're drinking coffee, not beers, unfortunately. So it's early in the morning. Although we did uh, settle in to have a couple and a very nice feed here with you last night, Josh. Yeah. No, look, guys, and, and like I said, welcome to Black Bunny Kitchen. Uh, we're a pretty new establishment, and it's just exciting to see guys excited about what we're doing. Josh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background personally, because you've, you've had a long history in hospitality, so you, you're not, you haven't just uh, thrown open the doors to a place and stocked it with craft beer, you've uh, you know, got, got a long history working in hospitality. Yeah, I sort of started working in hospitality as a teenager in New Zealand, um, started working in, a, in an English pub that had a lot of imported English beer, um, as well as New Zealand independently owned craft beer before it was bought by DB, such as Monteith's, uh, and relocated to Queensland in 2000 and started working in surf clubs and pubs and through Brisbane for about six or seven years and then yeah we wanted to get back to the beach and we thought that uh, it would be a little bit quieter on the Sunshine Coast to start a family and here we are. And you spent some time with ALH, which is the Woolworth-owned uh, chain of pubs, doing a little, you know, working at a couple of hotels in and around Brisbane there. Yeah, great apprenticeship working for a big group like that. You get to learn systems and, you know, get to learn how things are done on, on the real macro scale. I guess, you know, the good parts of that you can take away and apply them to uh, an independent business where you're given a lot more scope and the ability to perhaps be a little bit more reactive to trends in the market and you know I guess put a more of a personal stamp on it. It's a little bit hard to be entrepreneurial when you're part of a big chain with a lot of many levels of management and you know, a few restrictions on you know what, what you can do you can't just suddenly go out and you know, respond uh, to the market and as you said uh, when we were speaking off air that you don't want to be competing with the other members of the chain which, uh, which you're doing when you're uh, you know, if you've got 300 managers all wanting to be entrepreneurial on the same weekend. Yeah, and I guess, you know, they because of their size, they have, you know, large risk if they, you know, stimulate activity in multiple venues all at the same time, particularly in Queensland where they really control a lot of physical distribution up here just by the sites they have, you know, they really do have a concentration, both them and their largest competitor, um, the Coles Group. I think between the two of them, they're currently trading over 200 hotels here in Queensland, so... Yeah, it, it's good to be able to be independent and, you know, um, I guess not really, I don't see us up here as really competing with anyone, you know, we have our own brand and our own flair for what we're trying to do and um, I, I see that there's room in the market for independent operators up here because, you know, the, the national groups are more constrained as to what they can do. It's fair to say, Josh, that uh, you are one up here, like there, there, is, there isn't anything to compare with this. The first thing I noticed when I walked in the first time was what you didn't have. 
there wasn't the, uh, you know, there's a few craft beer taps or there's some craft beer in the fridge, but we've still got our 4X Gold or our 2E's New or our BB or, or whatever it might be, or, a, a, you know, a, um, an import, if you like, or a premium brand tap. It's all just craft. So I guess that gives you an advantage in that they, the punter can't really compare you to anything else. But have you found that it's been a difficult sell? Yeah, look, there's been some resistance from, you know, parts of the market that perhaps don't understand or this is very new for them. And a large part of our role has been education, you know. Um, you know, some people are, are a little bit closed-minded and you're not going to win them over. But, you know, we've really emphasised uh, a lot of staff training and, you know, uh, basically giving our guys the tools to, you know, try and sway these customers over to the, the merits of, you know, drinking good beer and, you know, just being a little bit more adventurous with their choices. Um, you know, we don't stock any macro brutes, uh, beer or anything like that, but I guess that also helps us send a very clear message to the market what we're about. You know, I think something that was very important for us from opening was that uh, we sent a very clear message about what we were about. And, you know, I guess the other side of the coin is if, if you don't like what we have to offer, that's okay. Uh, we're not offended by it. You know, there are plenty of um, you know, licensed venues, bars, clubs, uh, You've got restaurants. a surf club across the road. Yeah, and that's right, you know, and, and look, they've got a fantastic view and a really nice balcony and, you know, it's nice, it's very pleasant sitting up there and, and you know, enjoying a, a, a macro brewed beer if that's what you want to do. But I guess for us, you know, we wanted to emphasise the importance of independently owned business and, um, yeah, not, not send any mixed messages to the market about what we were about. You're certainly doing that. I mean, we're walking in and you've got Fortitude, um, some of the local craft breweries. You've got Rodenbach on tap. Um, you know, you've got a big fridge full of some very ambitious uh, New Zealand craft beers, maybe tracing back to your New Zealand heritage. Um, you know, you've got a very, very strong uh, beer list. How has it been received um, locally? Yeah, I guess, once again, a lot of it's coming down to education, you know. People are getting more and more curious each month. Um, we opened in the middle of winter last year uh, and traded through our first summer just being um, and, and had some reasonable results. Uh, but we've seen sustained growth after the traditional Sunshine Coast tourist season that everyone talks about. So I really believe that local people are beginning to become curious and wanting to find out what it's all about. Uh, some of the more challenging stuff, I guess, we didn't want to be perceived as... I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we wanted to have a, a large platform to build from uh, and if we didn't provide those offerings, if we'd just gone really, really safe and not challenged people up here, I think things would be a lot slower to turn. Uh, it's almost like a shock and awe type mentality where you know, if we show them everything that's available or, or as much of it as we can make accessible to them, then um, you know, these people will get excited about what's happening and understand the mentality of um, you know, our, our industry and our business, you know, showing and trying different things and, and being adventurous. That said, and you know, excuse me for, uh, I'm not suggesting you're a dirty stinking hipster or anything like that, <laughs> but you, you do pass more than a pass, you have more than a passing resemblance to Thomas Cooper, um, you know, from, from Cooper's. I mean, in fact, I think they could get you used to being the modern face of Cooper's. But, you know, that, that said, so, so you sort of very much fit in with the, um, the, that craft beer mould. But last night, um, you know, I almost felt that I was lacking something because I didn't have a uh, senior's discount card. Um, 
you know, it, 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 w w was it sort of a grey night last night or, you know, blue rinse that night last night? There was a lot of people who were, you know, sort of... I would have said it was a broader demographic than that, although a couple of the larger groups certainly were of, a, of an older... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, set. Going for the comedic effect, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it's, it wasn't your usual um, craft beer bar. There, mm. I reckon you know, a third of the people um, in the room would have been over 55, um, yes. and they distinctly yeah, did not look like their like your usual craft beer drinker. Um, the really funny thing talking about last night was, you know, some of the the group that you know you've identified were drinking things like Rodenbach off tap. So. Something that's really exciting for us, I guess, and, and that we need to be mindful of to have a sustainable business here is that we need to appeal to, uh, I guess, a broader group of people than just your, uh, your hipster hopheads. Um, so in doing that, it's been really encouraging over the last few months, uh, the empty nester, you know, 60 plus age group that, you know, live in, you know, fairly comfortable circumstances within walking distance of the venue uh, have stopped coming and... I guess branding us as a boutique bar and, and requesting you know beers such as Heineken's and Stella Artois and, and are now coming down and the first question out of the mouth uh, even from these people that perhaps don't use social media as much and you know perhaps fit into that um, aging sector of you know the community is the first question now is what's new so like I was saying, a large part of our role here, or, or our, our brand development here, is, is educating the market as to what we're about. And you know, we really like to be able to spend time, particularly with new customers, and explain to them, you know, what it is, what the merits are, and you know, give them a little bit of taste of what's available. And the other side of that coin, Josh, is the first thing I noticed was, as, as a you know, if you like a, a trained eye, was that. There were half a dozen beers that I could see, uh, one on a couple on tap and then in the fridge as well, that are great entry level or starter beers for somebody who doesn't see the Heineken or the Stella or whatever on tap and says, oh, what have you got for me? You've got the Stone and Wood Lager, you've got the um, Fortitude Gold Nail that we started our dinner off with last night, you've got the Holgate Pilsner uh, and a couple of others. I thought, okay, there's an easy in there for, for people who don't want to take that big jump and go... Um, challenging straight off and that's where I think the staff that you touched on that's where the staff training really comes in because they've got to know what they've got that they can offer that person. Yeah and it's important that we have a balance of what's available on tap too obviously in a beer venue most people will elect to drink draft and we we always have to have a lager on tap you know it's, it might be a pilsner it might be you know a, we, we use standard lager from Fortitude Brewing Company a lot and, and I believe it's a great beer for that entry level you know Point in the market. So, yeah, we, we do try and maintain a fair balance of what's available on tap. And, you know, look, um, if it was my beer fridge at home, um, it might be ranged slightly differently. But, you know, I, I guess um, we need to be very mindful that we're helping people on a journey to good beer. Um, and if most of what's available on the Sunshine Coast is macro brewed lager, and, and if you like macro brewed lager, that's fine. Um, there's nothing you, you wrong with that. No, no, that's fine. But, you know, we need to be mindful that we're trying to step people through an experience, I guess, rather than just selling them beer. How do you choose the beers that you put on? Because sometimes you walk into a bar and you just sort of feel that, you know, whichever rep has walked in last um, has sort of got the beer on tap. 
and there doesn't seem to be too much cohesion uh, across the four, five, six, eight taps. Uh, do you guys work to a plan to make sure you've got a, a reasonable balance across the taps at any one time, or do you just is it a little bit of potluck that we walked in on a really good night when there was a good balance? <laughs> oh, look, we, we try to be quite mindful of you know having something in, in major categories of recognised beer, so you know lagers and you know pales, IPAs you know, blacks or browns and, 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 you know, something stouty, so to speak. Like milk and two sugars. Uh, like the People's Choice Award from Gabs, I noticed, is a, on tap number four there. Yeah, That look, was a pleasant surprise. We um, we actually use quite a lot of beer from Hendo. Um, he, he brews really adventurous, interesting beer, but I think that most of it is very drinkable and, you know, even to um, people that perhaps haven't had access to a lot of craft beer um, because... He manages to maintain a, a sense of balance in what can be very hoppy beers. Um, they, you know, a, a number of people have had light bulb moments uh, with good beer yeah. in this venue with Brewcult beers. That famous head snap. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, that's been really exciting. So, yeah. But no, I guess not so much to a plan. We really try and make sure that you know across uh, the eight draft taps that we currently have that we're using you know at least two or three beers from local brewers. Um, that's really important for for the immediately yeah. local yep. industry. Um, and just recently, uh, as you mentioned, we've started um, playing with a little bit of imported stuff, uh, being mindful that you know I guess what we're using from overseas and you know using beer that's going to be fresh and still represented well when it's bought at the venue um, nothing is good about you know stale beer that's you know supposed to be hoppy and if we're asking people to pay a dollar or two more uh, for a schooner of something compared to a macro lager down the road we need to make sure that that beer is being served as close to the way it's intended as possible you know otherwise people aren't going to see the value in the product. It's an issue that you hear uh, more and more, particularly when you've got a beer like Milky Two Sugars that is, uh, you know, has created a lot of fuss. People want to get it on now. Um, you hear a lot of venues where they're not getting the pull through on some of the bigger beers or some of the more adventurous beers, or they've had a tap takeover where they put a range of beers on. They don't get them all through, um, but then they need to you know, cater to the what's new crowd, and so they'll take it off, put it in the cool room, you know, maybe pull it out in another month or two. Um, which isn't often doing the beers uh, any favours. Is that one of the, the, the great balancing acts you have to do to create the excitement around the what's new, um, but then also you know keep things coming what's new even if they're not pulling through, or do you just sort of put something on and let it run out and uh, sort of try and manage? Um, you know? Yeah, look, we're pretty lucky at the moment with only eight draft taps. That that hasn't been a huge concern for us. Um, we have done takeover events and things like that, but I, I guess I've tried to sneak maybe a couple of the beers on, you know, in the week leading up to it, to avoid taking tap, you know, kegs off. Um, look, this is the the Sunshine Coast, and it's a great place to live, and and, and I love it here. Um, but a lot of this beer is new, full stop. So the What's New crowd uh, has been satisfied just by the fact that we've <laughs> started with Pacific Island. Yeah, and and look, you know. It's it's a great beer for people that want to drink Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. You know, it's it's incredibly popular and and really approachable. Which you know, it's it's um, important to have beers like that available in a venue. Um, but 
Yeah, look, that, that hasn't been a huge concern. If we were a 25 tap venue, um, we would probably be reaching a little bit too far for where the market's currently at on the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, I would be concerned that there'd be a lot of beer going stale. But, you know, we've made considerations, I guess, in the planning of our business to try and maintain the quality and integrity of the product we're serving too. You know, we, we run a glycol system. Um, we really carefully manage our stock. Um, I'm often ordering beer days in advance of using it because, you know, also just the physical size of our cool room dictates to me that I can't have stocks and stocks and stocks of beer sitting around. So, and, and I guess for where we are too, you know, I, I do use packaged beer a little bit to satisfy the what's new crowd. Um, some venues, you know, really pride themselves in almost exclusively serving draft beer, and I think pack beer still has a, a, a real place in the industry. Um, you know, it can satisfy those I want something different, and we do carry quite a big list. Um, but once again, you know, we're buying single cases often um, of beers to maintain freshness. Uh, I, I'd rather order every week um, small from a supplier than order once a month and have stuff that you know. If it didn't move, yeah, that's right, you know. And and once again, you know, I, I guess it comes down to approaching acceptable risk, you know, to, to take on a, a single case of something, um, even if it is more challenging, um, you know, it's not a big risk. Whereas, you know, a lot of suppliers and breweries and distributors will offer five and one discounts if you buy it once or ten and ones. The value's only in that if you can move it you know, fairly shortly. Otherwise, you're still either discounting beer to get rid of it before it goes stale or you know, um, throwing it out or, or taking it home to drink it. <laughs> it, it it's interesting because you talk about that you don't think that your venue could support um, many more than eight taps um, at the Gold, on the Sunshine Coast at the moment. But now how many taps do you think you need? You hear a lot of the sort of beer commentators coming out of the States talking about some of the you know, bars who are at the headline of 25 or 50 taps and yet they're you know, 100-seat venues. Um, and you really wonder how much... You know, they probably ten of those taps are turning over regularly, and the rest are just uh, tending to moulder away a little bit. How many you know, taps do you think that you could reasonably manage and still keep the the, the turnover in a venue of this size? Oh, look, I mean, we've got a fairly large venue. Um, it's probably maybe it, it's certainly not a, a traditional big Queensland thumper pub size, but um, you know, we we comfortably seat over 200. It surprised me when I walked in just how big it was. It's a you know sprawling venue, lots very comfortable, you know, very open and very welcoming. But it's, it's nicely sectioned as well, so you, you never kind of feel like you're part of a great big group. Rather, you're a, a small part of a. A smaller group. Yeah, but, but going back to the question, look, I, I think, you know, in the near future, um, I, I guess it all comes down to, to balance once again, and, and it's a lot easier to balance eight taps, and, and people might disagree with me, but I think it's easier to balance eight taps than 30. Um, with 30 taps, you know, if you're looking at putting half a dozen IPAs on um, to, to satisfy the, the critical mass of taps, so to speak, um, you've got beers and brands competing with beers and brands, um, you know, and I guess, you know, you'd really want to have uh, a significant population base in the area uh, because you, you're going to then have to, even within the categories of beer, you're going to have to start targeting them at different parts of your market. Um, uh, an imported IPA from Stone in the States, you know, is probably appealing to a, at the price point it's going to land at, is going to appeal to differently to a locally brewed IPA, uh, which would be more in reach of you know local students who are curious about craft beer. Yeah. 
the other thing I noticed um, that, that really stood out for me, Josh, was the number of uh, 500 and 750ml bottles that you offer. Is that a deliberate attempt to sort of go, you know, there's a group of you, if you want to try something a little bit different, how about share a bottle? Or is that just, well, that's all they come in, so that's, how, that's what I got? No, no, um, it, it's deliberate. And, and I think, you know, we tend to pour a lot of the core range stuff on tap from local breweries. Um, a lot of the more challenging and, and uh, I hate the word, but I suppose it describes it, the more interesting stuff um, that comes out in 500 and 640 and 750ml bottles. Um, you know, I guess that's going back to what I was saying before about buying single cases of things and, and having new stuff regularly um, to, to satisfy the, the people that are incredibly curious and, you know, willing to take a dive down that path. Um, you know, we, we do get good patronage, I suppose, from um, stocking that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it's, I, I don't want to turn it into an arms race or a beer race, so to yep. speak, but for a lot of that stuff, um, we're the only place within a half-hour drive or more where you can actually access that stuff. So, uh, look, it's not going to appeal to the, to the, the Blue Rinse Brigade. Um, but, you know, for people that are really interested in beer, you know, we're making it available to them, you know comments that we got a lot when we first opened and we we opened with a, a bottled list of about 70 beers and it's it's well past that now but you know comments we got were oh this is so exciting I've never been able to buy a, a, a brew cult bottle on the Sunshine Coast or I've never been able to get Mountain Goat Rear Breed or you know are you guys going to stock X, Y and Z um, and so by using a rotational package list um, just like you know we've, we've rotated taps has provided guys with something new and something different that they can experience you know every time they come and it, and it brings people back because they go who knows what might be on tap this time round, rather than when I go in I'm going to start off with a, a this and then I'm going to finish with a that yeah I think it breaks the mould of you know what is generally available up here you know surf clubs are and pubs are tied up with contracts and you, you know what's on tap um, you know they might have a couple of tap changes a year and, and while I can see how it would be frustrating for brewers you know trying to manage um, stock and, and, and you know production levels um, it's, it's really at the moment a, a significant trend in the market and people are getting adventurous it's a bit hard to you know put out a seasonal as a brewer and expect people to, to snap it up and buy it you know without the rotation in the market you know that we're seeing in a lot of small bars you mentioned that brewers might find it a little bit tough and uh, you know you sort of see the progression of beers where there was a beer like Temptress from Holgate which is a fantastic chocolate porter rich chocolate porter um, and then suddenly Praline from La Serene comes on and everyone's talking about Praline and uh, people move to that and now we've got Milk and Two Sugars on um, which is another interesting uh, you know, coffee flavoured beer. You know, do we risk losing some of the classics or you know, is, is there pressure that we can sort of, uh, you know, some of the pioneers of the Australian craft beer movement can struggle because they're not as exciting as the next kind of thing and it makes it a little bit hard to, uh, you know, for, for them to sort of continue to grow and develop? Yeah, but I, I think, you know, the, the guys that are well-established and are clever in the industry are reinventing classics. You know, Mountain Goat have recently done a batch of nitro kegs for Hightail Ale, yep. and, you know, we're really excited to get some of that on tap shortly. You know, we, we do have a nitro line here, and, you know, it's something that we're looking forward to using. So I just think maybe it gives them an opportunity to, um, you know, reinvent some old classics, and, 
you know, like you saw from Stone in the US, you know, they, they've reinvented Renation with a new recipe. So uh, I, I think it's just the nature of, of business in general that if you don't evolve, eventually you will get left behind. Um, you know, Feral took IPA off the hop hog badge because of the way that, you know, I, I guess hops were being used in Australian IPAs over the last few years. So it's a process of evolution, and I guess if guys want to be stuck in their ways, then you know that they probably will get left by the wayside. But at the other side of it, 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 it's exciting to think that there's going to be continual and constant innovation in the market. You know, there's always going to be uh, guys given the opportunity to try new and interesting things, and you know we've really wet the appetite of the consumer for uh, that opportunity by showing them different things. And, and yeah, look. It, it must be sad for some of these guys to see beers that they started their brands on in decline. Um, but I, I guess I'd throw it back to them and, and say, look, here's the opportunity to either reinvent them, like the, the Hightail Ale example, or you know, create some new recipes. See, I hear that, and uh, you know, I, I do worry a little bit because I think back, you know, 10 or 15 years. Uh, and you could get Rodenbach uh, was one of the few beers you could get in Dan Murphy's uh, Trimonts, um, you know, uh, uh, Chimay yep. um, were the beers, and so and they were exciting and they were exotic. And then you know, as we've had the craft beer wave, they became harder and harder to get. Unfortunately, you know, Rodenbach has been, um, you know, had a little bit of an impetus. They've got a new distributor in Australia, um, and it's created this splash, and all these people go, oh wow, this is new and it's so cool. Um, <laughs> And I just sort of think, well, over the last 15 years, you've heard a lot of um, beer distributors that have traditionally brought those beers in, talking about how hard it was um, to, 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 to sell it, and you, you do lose them. And, uh, you know, I think of you know, what a loss to the industry it would have been if one of the three times over the last 30 years, Coopers has really struggled um, because they've suddenly been seen as unsexy if we lost Coopers. Um, you know, do you really want Cooper Sparkling Ale to reinvent itself, or do we want it to be a constant? And I, I guess again, that's one of those constant tensions, or one of the, the, the tensions that exists in the uh, in the market versus the old and the new. Yeah, oh, definitely. And you know, I think though, the example of Coopers, you know, they while they may not have reinvented some of those core brands, they they rebranded and reinvented the brewery a number of times. Um, I'm not old enough to pretend I was around 35, 40 years ago uh, and a couple of the examples when they had fallen on hard times but I think that's a real testament to that business and, and to that brewery that you know they, when times have fallen tough they haven't just thrown their hands up and said well this is what we do, this is what we've always done and you know to an extent they have reinvented and have pushed out uh, you know exciting new ways of attracting consumers back to their brand. That's true, and, and, and I mean, then again, it's been dumb luck in some cases as well. They pioneered home brewing supplies in the 1970s, yeah. um, but then they had the big growth of their beer in the 80s. Um, but then when we had the recession of the 90s, it was actually their homebrew business that kept them afloat, um, just because people wanted to keep drinking beer and homebrew, you know, the, the, the cheap do-it-yourself um, product kept them alive. So it, I, I guess it's max of innovation because they did have a product that was able to take up the slack, but again, it was a little bit of luck that they had it at the right time. Um, uh, Prof, what, what, what are some of the beers that um, you've noticed on the tap? So I, I know that you were a big fan of the Panhead Pilsner. Yeah, um, I tried that a little while ago. It was recommended to uh, my brother-in-law uh, was looking for a Christmas present for me and uh, the good guys down at, uh, at Purvis 
said, oh, is this for prof? Oh, you've got to get him a six-pack of this. He said, this is the, this is the best Pilsner we've, we've tried in ages. Uh, and it didn't disappoint. So when I walked in, that was kind of, my eye was drawn to that because I'd never had it on tap before. Uh, and that was just, again, it's, it's not a blow-you-out-of-the-water flavour-wise Pilsner. It's just beautifully balanced, very drinkable, but it, it ticks all the boxes for a Pilsner. And again, that's a great example of, uh, you know, when the Stone and Wood version of the Pilsner came out as part of their Beers of the World fame, you know, I, I kept reading on social media, oh, it's an approachable Pilsner or it's an underwhelming Pilsner. You go, no, no, it, it's a Pilsner. This is a Pilsner. And unfortunately, the, the, the craft beer arms race that uh, Josh has yeah. uh, alluded to distorts people's view about what a Pilsner is. And, you know, you, you, you sort of see Pilsners evolve and change a, a little bit. And I think we've seen the same happen to IPAs. Um, you know, it, it's a fascinating, it must be fascinating from the other side of the bar to watch people's expectations. Yeah, sometimes you feel like you should have a copy of the style guide sitting on the bar to remind yeah. people, you know, what is true to style. But I'll, I guess once again, you know, maybe pigeonholing things is is perfect for for competition and and the rest of it. But you know, we we just encourage people to try things, you know, and drink what they like. Um, don't feel that you need to fall into whatever your friends are drinking or you know what you read on social media. If you don't like it, don't drink it. Yeah, regardless of, of how it conforms to style or, or whatever else. Um, putting your, uh, slipping on the, the crystal balls and looking down the track, say, five years, what can you see for the Sunshine Coast, um, you know, whether or not you, you're seen as the impetus for it? Are you still here doing what you're doing and pretty much doing it on your own? Or does this kind of concept and the success of this kind of concept spawn uh, imitators or... Uh, yeah, look, I think, you know, um, if people see confidence in the market up here, we, we certainly won't be the last good beer venue to, and, and only good beer venue to open. There has been a, another restaurant open at Kiwana since we were here, the Green Zebra, and, you know, there are other really good beer venues on the Sunshine Coast. Um, Matt, down at Blackwater Trading Company in Caloundra, pulled some really interesting beer, and, and, you know, then there's the guys up at Taps Malula Bar and, and also Beach Bar and Grill at Malula Bar. Um, I, I think generally those guys probably play it a little bit safer than we do um, but you know it's really exciting to see that already there's becoming a I guess a harmony of venues on the coast where we probably appeal to slightly different parts of the market as well um, so it's good look no we won't be the last venue to open and you know that's exciting to me you know because it means that you know the more beer that's available to people um, you know the more people will understand it um, it's interesting, you, you mentioned the number of venues that are starting to you know, put toes in the water, but there still aren't any what you would regard as craft beer bottle shops or specialty beer bottle shops uh, you know, within a half an hour drive uh, of here. Do you think that the availability of take-home craft beer and an adventure selection of take-home craft beer holds the growth back in, in the area? Yeah, I, I think it's probably integral over the, for the long-term success of craft on the Sunshine Coast. So, you know, that's something that we, we're definitely looking into. And, you know, I, I guess the other side of it is, um, you know, making it accessible to people. Um, sometimes I feel, being, being in the industry and, and knowing what wholesale lists can, you know, prices can be, um, you know, sometimes it's hard not to feel a little bit exploited when you see things that I know perhaps are a little bit rarer or more limited on the supply side, um, but, you know, guys are exploiting the availability uh, price-wise just because it's hard to get, you know. I, I, I believe in, you know, trying to charge a fair price for things and, and 
Look, if it's rare and it's scarce, you know, that just means that the early bird gets the worm. You know, you don't necessarily have to mark it up by another 10 or 15%. Um, you know, you should set a fair price and rely on good, you know, return customers and a, and a broad base for that kind of thing. So, yeah, look, I, I agree. I think it's integral for the long-term growth and health of the market up here that we do have good, reliable retail up here, um, and, and that's important. Well, Josh, thank you very much for hosting us last night. Um, it was a wonderful experience. We really enjoyed ourselves. Congratulations on, on the venue to both you and your partner, Amy. Um, all, all the best for the uh, impending birth. Amy's uh, sort of getting around. She's going to start finding it hard to get between the tables in, a, in, 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 in the coming months. Um, but, yeah, so we'll certainly link to uh, you and the, the venue on the site. But uh, congratulations uh, on Black Bunny Kitchen. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you for coming. Now, Prof, before we uh, sail on out of here, we've got some family duties to attend to on the uh, on the beach, get kids uh, enthused and entertained while we... Uh, to get them out and commune with nature and all that sort of thing. And we should point out to Ding 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 um, that we, we did turn up virtually unannounced last night it was uh, there was no there's no contra deal or anything oh we, no no uh, no no we, we paid we, we uh, paid our bill and all that sort of thing and we didn't sort of you know don't you know who we are kind of, you know, phone ahead listeners thank you very much for joining us once again live from uh, black bunny kitchen um you can follow us uh, obviously at brewsnews.com i think a, prof, a lot of people probably don't even who listen to the site who listen to the podcast haven't come to us through the, the bruce news site so what's, what's keeping you What's keeping you? You can keep Coming up with all visit. of the latest beer news uh, and views on brewsnews.com.au. You can follow Pete on Beer Blokes on Twitter um, and Pete Mitchum on Facebook. And also, uh, Beer Bloke, I've, I've got onto the Instagram now. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not working it very hard, but I'm there. Josh, uh, how can people follow you on social media? Uh, guys, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Black Bunny Kitchen. We're on Instagram. Uh, I don't know about you, Peter, but my wife won't let me take the photos for Instagram. No. Apparently, I'm an awful photographer. <laughs> and we are, once again, on Twitter as well. Um, we probably need to get a little bit more active there, but I always believe that if you've got nothing interesting to say, don't say it. So maybe oh, that's, that's never stopped no, us. That's, that's no. not a rule that would work for uh, Radio Brews News. <laughs> and, and we are currently renovating our website because uh, we needed to bring it more in line with you know up-to-date news and things that are exciting and happening at Black Bunny. Good on you, thanks guys, and uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we had an, we're hoping to bring the uh, interesting story of the new Tui's Darling Pale Ale that was uh, launched this week. Um, had an interesting chat with the, the brewer, but I was t tackled it from a, more of a marketing uh, question rather than a brewing question. They uh, there's obviously something interesting about the beer because they gave me a brewer to speak to, which is very unusual for uh, some of the big brands. So uh, that's why we're coming to you a little bit later this week, but uh, stay tuned next week for a very interesting chat about the new Tui's Darling Pale Ale. But in the meantime, Lockie, strike up the band. Roll out the barrel We'll have a barrel of fun